one of the things that I realized is I have the right and responsibility to define the brand. And I have that right as human resources professional. I think oftentimes we inherit the brand or the reputation in any job we take or any company we go into, but we have a responsibility for how we show up. And we can rebrand ourselves within the organization as long as we're taking actions that are consistent with our commitment. I'm Adam Connors from NetworkWise and your host of Who's Who in HR. Ask any successful CEO about the most important aspect of their company and they'll inevitably answer their people. And who is it that's responsible for their people? It's human resources. In fact, HR is the backbone of any elite organization. They attract, develop, and engage top talent, progress culture, secure, and manage important benefit programs, make sure you're appropriately paid, protect the best interest of each employee and the company, and so much more that, quite frankly, often gets taken for granted. On Who's Who in HR, I'll have in-depth discussions with well-known human resource leaders who offer insights into who they are, how they got there, and the areas they support. During our conversation, these leaders will reveal beneficial industry advice and innovative trends in the HR space that's contributing to keeping the world's most successful companies at the top of their game. My guest today, Christopher McCormick, mentions that he values integrity, empathy, creativity, inclusion, and humor. Those five values really shine through in our discussion about humanizing the HR role. Christopher shares how important psychological safety is in order to have honest conversations. What do you say we dive right in? Christopher McCormick, welcome to the show. Thanks, Adam. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this has been a long time in the making. I appreciate you making today happen and us aligning the moons. You ready to have some fun today? Absolutely. Well, it's a beautiful thing. I, uh, I like to start the uh, conversation with a couple uh, things that I call rapid fire questions from there. We'll roll into kind of the main segment and then we'll okay. see what goes from there. Okay. Sounds good. How about we start with who is Christopher McCormick? It's very introspective there. I would say who I am is a person of my values. When I was looking for where I wanted to work in my next gig, one of the things that I really looked for was a values-based organization and that aligned with my own personal values. So <clears throat> I value integrity, empathy, creativity, inclusion, and humor. And those are my what I would call my five core values. And when I was looking for what's next for me, Blue Shield of California is human, honest, and courageous. And those things align very well. I'm also someone who's very intentional and look to have my leadership vision show up. So my leadership vision is to wake up every day and learn to love the world all over again with purpose, grace, and ease. So that is who I am. That's powerful. And it looks like you found the right calling in terms of your field. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. So w would you consider yourself an, an introvert, an extrovert, or do you kind of fall in between like what they call a centrovert or an ambivert? So if you ask anybody who knows me, they're going to say extrovert. Shout out to Susan Newman, who did a great job of explaining MBTI on a previous episode of Who's Who in HR. So great job, Susan. I would say that I'm an extrovert with introvert tendencies. 
Do you remember what your your Myers Briggs? Uh, yeah, was called? Um, go for it. Yeah. ENFJ. That's what I am. Is my Myers Briggs indicator, and I would also call out that. My introvert's tendencies tend to be, I can be on all day. I could be on stage. I could be in front of a room. I can do that. But how I renew my energy is very much from an introvert-centric perspective, giving myself time, giving myself pause, being quiet. That's how I renew my energy. So while I can be extroverted all day long, I do require quiet time. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. I, I would have pegged you for an INFJ. Just the thoughtfulness in how you speak is typically aligned with someone who's more introverted than extroverted. Do you know e-colors at all? Like no. there's tons of stuff. There's like disc e-colors. Yeah, I know disc. Drink binders, all of yeah. that stuff. On e-colors, I'm what they call a social thinker on that spectrum, if you're familiar with it. I, and I in strength binders, I'm strategic is my top thing. That's probably where you get the thinking from. Big fan of strength finder. I have uh Really, I find the accuracy on that to be really high. And I've done a few of the other ones, but that's interesting. So tell me three things that happened to you over the last week that you're thankful for. Three things. As you know, my uncle passed away the Sunday before last. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that I'm thankful for is that I was able to honor his life, was able to honor his service to our country as a veteran and really honor the impact that he had on our family. He literally, my cousin sent this picture of him, is it probably in the mid eighties? And he, he's like a doppelganger for Kenny Rogers of that same time. And just like thinking about his impact and who he was for us, being able to have that opportunity, even during a travel ban and not being able to be there in person. On a less serious note, I'm happy that I cleaned my oven in January. It's the, the time every year I clean my oven because you have Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Year's and like the oven gets used a lot, even if the turkeys were smaller this past year. It still got used, right? It still got all of the use it needed to get done. So uh, cleaning my oven in January is always something that I do and look forward to. And then third thing, I really am proud to work for a company that takes a stand. And we took a quick, swift stand and we're really on point in the response of the events that happened on January 6th. And again, values-based company, really am proud that I work for a company that has a point of view and is not afraid to put it out there. Those are three powerful things. And I, I really like that you're honoring your uncle and celebrated him in that capacity. That's a, that's really cool. Thank you for that share too, by the way. Of course, of course. So getting back to even your company, let, let's talk a little bit more about what exactly that you do. Can you give an overview? Sure. So I am a human resources business partner. I support our consumer and commercial groups within the organization. Our CEO, Paul, says everybody is in sales, no matter if you're in finance, HR, whatever. But I do support the sales arm of our organization and have the honor to work with them day in and day out to make sure that they have what they need from a human capital perspective. That's great. And something that I've noticed that I think that you've done a relatively good job in your role and even just through conversations that we've had, I've uh, picked up on. And, and it's obviously something that's very uh, topical these days is your brand. You've done a really good job with your brand. I'd love to get your perspective on why branding is important in general, just in nowadays, but especially for HR. Yeah. Yeah. 
I'm going to do a shout out to Jennifer Brown of Jennifer Brown Consulting. She likes to talk about flawless consulting. So Peter Block, flawless consulting, great model. If you're going to be a consultant, if you haven't read it, read it. It's amazing. First introduced to it at this little coffee company I worked for for a little while called Starbucks. You may have heard of it. There's not one on every corner, but there is. In Block's Flawless Consulting, it's one of my favorites. Jennifer often uses it as well, which is why I'm shouting out to her. There is a whole model about contracting, but there's also a thing around defining your rights as a consultant. And from a human resources perspective, being able to define my rights. And I do this every week. I look at what's in my calendar for the week. And I, you know, some of the rights always stay the same. Like I have a right to voice my opinion. I have a right to advocate for people who are being heard in this case. I have the right to X, Y, and Z. I have the right to screw this up. One of the things that I realized is I have the right and responsibility to define the brand. And I have that right as human resources professional. I think oftentimes we inherit the brand or the reputation in any job we take or any company we go into, but we have a responsibility for how we show up and we can rebrand ourselves within the organization as long as we're taking actions that are consistent with our commitment. And so oftentimes I think HR gets the brand of, oh, you're on the side of the manager or, oh, you're out to get me or, oh, you're one of those people. I always, I always joked that when HR walks in the room, people are like, shh, HR's here. Or it's the opposite. They're like, oh, HR's here. Here's my list of 8,000 things that I want you to, I need to hire this person. I need to have a conversation with this person about performance. I need this. Blah, blah, blah. So there is sort of that brand of HR is either a workhorse that you never see. And when you get time in front of them, use it wisely or be quiet. Don't make that joke. You'll get in trouble. Well, let me ask you this. Is the brand more important for the executives that you're dealing with or more of the general population that you're working with? I would say it's a healthy balance between the two. I think the general population tends to see that, oh, you're on the side of the manager. Oh, you're out to get me or, oh, you're here for a PIP, which is a performance improvement plan, right? One of the things that I saw when I joined Blue Shield and I joined in March of 2020, so everything was work from home. I have not met anybody that I work with in person except for two people in my final interview that I did face-to-face -face like a week before we all went home. And, and oftentimes you have all hands meetings or you're out doing site visits and you can do sort of a round table. As I was looking at our employee feedback, some of the comments, right? the siding with managers, we don't even know who HR is, it really was a catalyst for me to start doing what I call an HR business partner listening tour. Mm. And basically I, twice a week, 30 minutes, schedule a time and I go out and talk to people who are frontline employees. And it's really twofold. One, it's about rebranding HR and making sure that they know I'm here, what I'm here for why I'm here, why I do it, why I'm on their side if they need me. And it's also just an opportunity to get to know people and make sure that they know that there is a place for them in the organization, that their voices are heard, they're respected, they're valued. And oftentimes when I send the invite, I have to say, meeting with your HR business partner, smile, it's all good. <laughs> and then I give some context in the actual invite so that they don't freak out because sometimes that's the brand of HR. They reach out to you, you're in trouble. So making sure that I'm intentional about how to create that space. And I basically spend, 
the first 15 minutes getting to know that person as an individual, letting them get to know me. And then I spend the last 15 minutes really seeing like what's working in your opinion, what's working. And if we could do something different or better, what would those things be? So kind of plus Delta and giving people an opportunity to have their voice heard. That's great. And it's funny, as you will listen in the past couple of uh, podcasts that I've done, they haven't come out yet. Well, actually, by the time this comes, they will. I've given you props in your HR, the HRBP as a listening tour. I guess I, I think it's great. I, I love it. I think it's on a lot of different levels. There's so much value there. Uh, like you said, getting people familiar with your brand, also giving you an opportunity to really learn uh, the people and also mm-hmm. what's going on under the hood of the business. Yeah, it's immensely powerful. I've gotten a lot of comments. Like I've never talked to HR. I've been here 15 years. I was talking to someone two weeks ago. This lady had been here 35 years. And she's like, I've talked to HR maybe twice in 35 years. And she's like, I never because of them reaching out to me for this and just wanting to get to know me. Like it's been about reworks or whatever, like 35 years and never really talked to HR, which... It kind of blows my mind, but at the same time, I get it. I think oftentimes as HR professionals, we spend the bulk of our time with executive teams and we're really looking at a people strategy. We're looking at where's the business going? Where do we need to transform? Where do we need to move to the jobs of the future or this or that? And oftentimes we lose sight of the real reason we're there is, and in your intro, you say it beautifully, we're there for the people. And if we're not talking to the people, (laughs) then uh, we're missing something. I think that's great. Like I said, on so many levels, it's giving you boots on the ground. It's giving you the ability, you're humanizing your role. You're getting the insights. You're also forming a a connection with these Mm -hmm. people. It's proactive. You know, you're getting getting out ahead of things. I I just think that's brilliant. And again, it also gets back to the brand. You're giving good branding for yourself and just for the role that you're representing. What are other things that you could recommend fellow HR professionals do for their brand, whether it's the listening mm. tour or just doing other podcasts like this? Is it speaking mm. engagements? Is it hosting internal events? Like, Is there anything in particular that you would mentor somebody to do? There are a ton of things that, that we can and, and sh- I don't know, should, but do... I- Certainly, there's podcasts, there's white papers, there's conferences, there's speaking engagements, all of that. I really think depending on what your aspiration is as a professional, what your talent and your strength is, going back to strength finders, finding your voice and amplifying it in a way that works for you. And that could be you working with your manager on your performance, your professional development plan and your performance plan and your goals and putting stretch goals out there. Maybe it is you're not as comfortable speaking. So it is getting a speaking engagement and stretching and growing that part of your wheelhouse. I also, for each person, it's going to be different. So maybe being a leader of an employee resource group or advocating for a new policy and working with your total rewards team on a new benefit that you want to to launch and you want to be you know, put your thumbprint on that. There's lots of ways that you can do that and partner that makes sense for each individual. That's great advice. And it, it also gives those in the field no excuse for not doing something. I mean, you're, right. you're you just laid out you know a roadmap yeah. of ways to put yourself, you know, to get your brand out there. So I think that's I, I, 
Yeah. As my mother would say, no one can pee for you. And so basically you've got to put your professional development plan together. Nobody can do that for you while hard and sometimes takes time and you have to sit down and think through it. You're the owner of your career. You're the, you're the chief executive officer of your life. So mm. no one's going to pee for you. That's excellent. We might need to make that the title, by the way, of this show. What can you tell me about psychological safety and, and the neuroscience that's behind it? So I am a certified Neuroleadership Institute trainer. So shout out to David Rock and the Neuroleadership Institute in case there's any copywriting, whatever. Um, <laughs> there's a whole lot about that and how our brains are wired. And if you think about how we're wired, we scan for safety seven times per second. And what I, when I say scan for safety, basically we're also scanning for threat, right? We're looking for safety, we're scanning for threat. Physical threat, emotional threat, social threat. We're looking for those things in our mind and we're wired like 80% more in our brain to go there, to go to the something bad's gonna happen. OHR's in the room, shush, right? Like mm. something bad's gonna happen from this. Just survival skills. I think we, if we go back to the caveman days, you go to the edge of the cave and you're like, okay, do I eat today or do I get eaten, right? Mm. There's a decision point. And it depends on how hungry you were and whether you took the risk. And going back to that, I think the brain is really set up to have patterns and ways in which we scan for safety or threat. And we really are just wired more for looking for that. So when you're talking about human beings and human nature and psychological safety, creating conditions for that to be there and show up really do require new neurological patterns to be formed and to be reinforced. And what that looks like is really allowing for people to have insights and aha moments and those moments where it's less about, oh, let me give you feedback. Have you ever had someone say, hey, Adam, let me give you some feedback. Yeah. You're like, oh, great. Here's my feedback friend, Christopher. Yeah. I can't wait to hear what this is going to be. It's like unsolicited feedback or coaching guides to feedback. Um, I like to think of creating psychological safety and creating insights is really about asking questions in a safe way that allow people to get to their conclusions themselves and get actions for themselves out of that. So instead of coming to you, Adam, and saying, hey, can I give you some feedback? It would really be like, Adam, how many strategies have you tried so far? Like, mm -hmm. how's that going for you? I'm not putting you on the defensive. I'm asking a question to probe your thinking. And I'm asking you to think about your thinking about whatever situation we're talking about. So in, in some ways, metacognition, thinking about your thinking, uh, allowing you to think about the problem versus trying to solve the problem mm -hmm. and allowing you to think about the, your thinking about the problem versus working on solving the problem. Can you explain the metacognition just to make sure I fully understand that? Yeah. So I'm asking you, instead of thinking directly about whatever problem you're trying to solve or whatever, let's say it's about a presentation that you're about to do for the board and, or you, one that you've just done, instead of you thinking about that particular situation or problem to solve, I'm asking you to think about your thinking about it. So I'm asking you to sort of take a meta view versus the micro trying to solve the direct problem that you're dealing with. It's, I, I like to think of it as going up to the balcony. If you're in a 
I don't know, a ballroom and you're watching the dance happen and I'm asking you to go up on the balcony and see it from a different view, a higher view. And then how patient do you have to be in order to be able to ask some of these questions? This can't be easy, right? I mean, you, you no. kind of already know the answer. You just got to help the person yeah. get there. Yeah. I mean, you I, know, the beauty the, is the it's patience. a dance, right? If you, it's a dance, if you're, you know, it really is being present, mm-hmm. being willing to be vulnerable, allowing other people to be vulnerable, creating the space or the condition again to allow for people to mess up and not get it right and not have it be perfect. That's hard. That's hard work. And it takes courage, right? And it's not easy, but human beings aren't easy. So what has this skill set, this ability to talk to people and and make people feel safe from a psychological standpoint? Have you seen anything that it's done for you or the organizations that you've represented and been able to apply this? Being willing to have the conversation, we're not going to get it right all the time, that we are allowed to fail, we're allowed to make mistakes and mess up. Having that, I think, mindset, growth mindset, Carol Dweck's awesome book and is often referenced in this work is really about, I'm not yet, the the whole phrase yet. So I'm not an expert yet. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean I can't gain expertise or that I can't learn something. I may not be as proficient at it, but I'm willing to try stepping outside of your comfort zone versus being in a fixed mindset where, oh, I'm just not athletic. Well, maybe I'm not athletic yet. How about I work at doing whatever it is, activities so that I could become a good baseball player or basketball player. I'm never going to be a baseball player, basketball player um, yet. Right. But those are the fixed and the, the fixed mindset about certain things versus the growth mindset about certain things. So I think companies that embrace a growth mindset, companies that are willing to be innovative and knowing that failure is part of innovation, that being part of the culture creates that condition. I think you as a manager or as a human resource professional creating an environment like having a brand that says, hey, I'm going to come talk to you. I'm going to share that in an all hands call. Hey, I'm having conversations with everybody. You might get an invite from me. Don't freak out. <laughs> like That is part of it, managing it and then following through. Going back to sort of one of my values is integrity. And I define it as doing what you said you would do, doing it on time and doing it in the way that it was meant to be done. Right. And doing it in a way that was meant to be done. There are certain things that we know come with the role. Like there, whether we like it or not, there are certain things that we know are in the design of something. Mm. And so doing it in the way that it was meant to be done, then if you can then start to ferret out, well, what's the way that it was meant to be done? Who created that? And where did that come? Like you have to really think about the design of and the architecture of what was put in place to have that be there. There is a reason we're a human resources business partner or you're a total rewards person or you're a manager of XYZ. How many steps are you thinking ahead when you're going into a conversation, it, it sounds to me that there's, this isn't just your surface question that you're asking, you know? Um, no, I make it up. I'm kidding. Um, I make it up as I go along. Um, <laughs> no, I think part of it is being intentional. So 
going back to strength finders, being strategic and thinking about how things are designed or architected or put together. I'm, I'm one of those sort of systems thinkers in general terms. So I think through the system and how it's designed and why it goes here and what goes there and why. And so I, I just naturally tend to think that way. So there's always sort of some thought that's been put into it, but then I'm also by training an actor so improv like making it up in the moment because you have to there's no script (laughs) there's no and there's no help coming like again no one can pay for you you've got to get this done you've got to this is your brand your reputation your your butt is on the line so what would be the worst outcome and what could be the best outcome and where are you willing to go in that conversation Mm. So we're getting a little late on time. I've, I've got, there's one other topic or one of the questions I'd, I'd love to ask you if, if you've got the time still. Sure. So sure. Well, you and I were talking and, and this comes back to the, you know, you're talking about mindset before. And I think this falls mm-hmm. right in line with that. When you and I spoke a couple of weeks ago, you mentioned something about helping your leaders get into a forward state as opposed Mm -hmm. to a stress state. Can we rehash that conversation? Because I'd I'd never heard that before. And I think that those listening could really benefit from understanding the two different states and then kind of walking us through how you get them to think that way. Yeah, it goes back to the neuroscience and thinking about being in a stress state, knowing that people tend to be there naturally. It's the default state. How do you get them to a forward state by allowing for the time, the space, the generosity of spirit, the acknowledgement that these are hard conversations. This is tough. We're having what may be a difficult conversation. Allowing, again, asking the questions. So again, not necessarily coming with an answer or with a script that is guiding them to an outcome, but being curious being present, being in the moment, allowing for people to mess up. It creates more of that forward state. Are are there questions that that anything in particular, the ways to kind of raise some of these forward state questions or or forward state? How long have you been focusing on this issue? How long has this been there for you? Mm. How long has it, have you been trying to overcome it? On a scale of one to 10, how big of a priority is this for you right now? Lots of different questions that you can get go with. The one thing that I would share is there is a model in back to the NLI model, the Neuroleadership Institute model. There's a thing called SCARF. So there's safety is the S. Um, C is certainty. A is autonomy. R is relatedness. And F stands for fairness. That's the SCARF model. And people need all of those things. They need safety. They need certainty. We've been in a very uncertain time and we feel that, right? Not having that certainty has put people in a stress state. So people are automatically in a stress state. How do you get them from a forward state? So how do you lean in and give them more answers to some of the questions that you know that they're going to have? That starts to condition to a forward state. That's how leaders can start to think through how they communicate, how they show up, how they facilitate meetings, how they deal with one-on-one conversations, all of those things are necessary. And also knowing what people's um, main 
things that they need are. So somebody may be very high, they need a high level of autonomy. And if you're a micromanager and you're coming to them asking them a lot of questions about details, chances are you're not speaking to them in a forward state, you're coming to them and they're stressing them out. So knowing your people and understanding kind of what do they value more Mm. out of the SCARF model traits is a good way to think about helping leaders think through how their approach can help put people in more of a forward state. When you phrase it that way, it makes a lot of sense. So SCARF stands for safety, certainty. Was it autonomy? I missed the autonomy. Uh huh. Relatedness. And fairness. Oh, relatedness. relatedness and yes. fairness. Yeah. Gotcha. Related. That is you bad. can Google it. <laughs> good. And I will. Christopher, this has been a really good conversation. We covered a lot. I, I'm impressed on so many levels. Obviously, the your candor, the importance of the branding, how you've gone about this, just the, all the things that you're the HRBP listening tour, being able to apply all of this neuro. There's so much there that ties. Brain science geek. Yeah. And and how that you're able to apply that. And I'm also impressed with how you're able to remember these people and acronyms. (laughs) So, so, uh, so kudos to you. This has been a great conversation. Thank you. Thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. Many thanks for listening to who's who in HR. If you're looking to connect with more top level HR professionals, be sure to log on to networkwise.com to find out how you could be part of an HR mastermind group. Also, subscribe to our newsletter to stay up to date on everything happening with NetworkWise. In the interim, make it a great day and remember to always NetworkWise. NetworkWise.